This podcast is part of the A3K Network. For more information, visit www.anime3000.com. Welcome back to animation, everyone. <laughs> I'm your host, Josh Dunham. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to animation. As you can tell, it is October, which means I will be taking a look at spooky, creepy, and haunted Japanese pop culture for you. First, I need to give you a little bit of a excuse as to why I wasn't here last week. Mainly because I've been working two jobs now, which requires me to leave my house at 1 p.m. I literally do not get back until like 12.30 a.m. So I am working that whole time, and as you can imagine, I get tired. Well, the problem is when I get home, I don't fall asleep right away, so I don't wake up until probably 10 o'clock in the morning, and that leaves me little to no time to do anything. So if I need to podcast, I have to really scramble to get my material together. Watching anime is a pain in the ass to get done, so basically last week, because I wasn't planned, I didn't get anything for you guys. So my apologies, poor planning on my part. But I'm back this time with a battle plan. That's why this podcast is going to be released. So, and that's why you're listening to it. With that, let's go into the news. <laughs> An exciting little tidbit right here, the last episode of Sengoku Basura 2 announced a theatrical production for 2011. I really don't care because I don't watch anime based off video games, but as far as I can tell, this is one of the few video games that have actually an anime film after having two anime series. So that's quite an accomplishment nonetheless. The 11th Do As Infinity Anniversary Live Concert streamed for free last Wednesday, September 29th. Of course, the thing is, because it streamed 
at 6.30 p.m. for Japan, that means it was about 5.30 a.m. for us here. But I guess telling you how awesome it was doesn't do you much good since, well, it's already passed. Don't worry, I saw it for you. And going on to the complete opposite side of the scale from Inuyasha opening to Berserk, Volume 35 of Berserk revealed a new anime project. A commercial narrated by, get this, Berserk fanboy Gakt will promote the release for the 35th manga volume. Now that just blows my mind right there. Gakt, the guy who's done everything under the sun basically, is a Berserk fan? I won't be happy until I see him playing Guts. But the most interesting part about this is that director Hiroyuki Kitakobu wrote on his Twitter account on Tuesday that he heard, quote, for blank C is making Berserk a full CG anime. He added that blank degrees Celsius might be attempting to make an in-house motion capture studio. He then went on to apologize in advance if someone considers what he posted to be confidential information. Oh, really? So 4 degrees Celsius is doing a CG Berserk project? Hmm. And a, a good piece of news for all you guys who like Cat Shit 1 or Apocalypse Meow but don't want to pirate the Japanese version. An English dub has been produced for free with an HD worldwide stream. So look for that soon. A teaser site, and oh god, I hate those things, went up recently for a Subaru X Gynex animation project. Some of the staff working on the project has been revealed, including Daisuke Kikuchi, who did concept art for Gurren Lagann, among other things. I'm not sure if I should be exactly excited for this, or if I should be kind of hesitant, seeing how Gynex has kind of gone off the deep end for the last few projects, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep some hope on. This is supposed to, quote, drop next winter. The final episode of K-On! announced that there's going to be a theatrical version, and it's been greenlit. And Crunchyroll is streaming episode 12.5, which was a DVD-only episode of Durarara. This is going to prove interesting because I don't know if the Japanese otaku fan base or anime fans in general for Japan, are familiar enough with Crunchyroll that they can just go and watch it there, or if Crunchyroll has certain IP locks, so that way only North American IPs can get there. I'm interested in how this is going to work because, you know, that's pretty much one of the driving factors for people to buy the DVDs is now I've got extras that I couldn't get anywhere else. So I'm interested in how this is going to play out. Three words for you. Cyborg009, Production IG, and Oshi. Okay, so technically that's two words, one last name, three numbers, and then two letters, but hey, come on. Mamoru Oshi is working with Production IG to create a Cyborg 009 anime short. My only regret is that this thing is not a full television series, or at least an OVA or a film. It's only going to last 4 minutes and 45 seconds long. 
Issue 44 of Weekly Shonen Jump announced 3D film versions of Toriko and One Piece, which will hit Japan March 19, 2011. Behind the production is Toy Animation, who will be doing a quote, Jump Heroes film double billing, of which both One Piece and Toriko are part of. The Japan Information and Culture Center and Asia Society will host Paprika in the Embassy of Japan's Auditorium in Washington, D.C. After the movie, a discussion will be held on Khan's works and his influence on Japanese pop culture. And that's it for the news. So, moving on, let's go to our review. What the? What in tarnation was that? I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, it sounds like CJ is gearing up for his next AMR review. And what exactly would that be? Well, considering that CJ has painted a big dipper on his chest, I guess it's Vista North Star related. You mean to tell me that he's going to be tackling the 1995 American live-action version of the film starring Gary Daniels? More than likely. So, this Gary fellow, has he been in anything else? Well, let's see. He was in a movie called Pocket Ninjas. That ring any bells? No, I can't say that it does. How about this one, Heatseeker? There's a joke in that one, but no, I can't say that I've seen it. Okay. An American Street Fighter? You mean the one with Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, it's a different Street Fighter. Oh, so they basically got a nobody to play Kenshiro. Yep, shame. Not as big of a shame as watching CJ train for this next video. Yeah, you would've think that he would have shaved his chest before painting the Big Dipper on there. Before we make these people sick, we should tell these folks that they should visit CJ's blog, cjhitchcockanimemovereview.blogspot.com, and have a look at his previous reviews while he's gearing up for this one. Or instead of visiting cjhitchcockanimemovereview.blogspot.com, they could just check out his Twitter account for updates of his recent videos. What? <laughs> Is he okay? It looks like he got his finger caught in the tree. Training dummy, couldn't we help him? Let's wait a few minutes. In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning. In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is Not That Podcast. www.ssapodcast.com The Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, let's go again.
Alright, to get Horror Month kicked off the right way, I'm reviewing a movie that I think every anime fan should be watching this time of year, and that would be Juon 1 and Juon 2, the direct-to-video releases by Takashi Shimizu. And let me tell you, I love these films so, so much. Um, of course, by the nature of a horror review, you can't really go into much detail as to what happens and when, because, well, that's kind of half the mystery, the suspense. That's what makes the film good, is you don't know when you first go into it. But, regardless, I want to talk about why these are some of my favorite movies. I will not be talking about the theatrical versions, because for those of you who are familiar with Juon, Juon had some direct-to-video releases, the first two films, and then got theatrical remakes, and then later went on to get remakes over here in the U.S., like The Grudge. Now, the first Juon film came out in 2000, so after the Y2K scare, we got to be scared of Little Blue Children, and it was a very, very low-budget direct-to-video film, but it was immensely popular, if you couldn't already tell, from the multiple remakes. But primarily what makes Juon scary is not the fact that there's so much gore, that there's so much blood, that there's so much suspense, is that Shimizu is a master at using your own emotions against you, using your own thoughts against you. Like, if you're an active audience and you're always thinking about the movie, trying to piece it together, trying to be one step ahead, you're going to love this movie. Because Shimizu takes that into account and says, hmm, well, how can I arrange the story or arrange the scene in such a way that it presents some information and leaves your mind wondering, and then I'll solve it later. For those who just like to be scared, you know, just sit down, have a popcorn movie experience, that's certainly possible too, because you just watch the people go through their story. At the end of the movie, the story is solved for you, so you don't have to be that anxiously engaged in it, but the movie solves the story for you and gives you a nice time of fright, <laughs> if that's such a possible thing. But primarily, the shocking visuals consist of no more than just kids and actors, or actresses in this case, with blue makeup, or very pale makeup at that, and they use familiar locations, whereas most ghost stories or horror films, where do they take place? off the beaten path, in the woods, haunted house, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Basically, when horror films are trying to scare you with a location, there's two ways to do it. One, they bring you to a location you've never been to. And let's be honest, when most people, including myself, go to a location that we're not familiar with, we feel out of place. We already feel like something's not right because we're not familiar with this. We're trying to absorb it and take it in. Now, the second one is to place the audience in a familiar location, such as their house, or in Japan to be a train station or a school building, a very, very familiar place that many people can relate to. If you scare them in the place that they're not familiar with, they'll say, wow, that was a very scary movie. I didn't feel like I could relate to almost anything. I was just so scared out of my wits. Or you can say, wow, I could relate to this 100%, in which case the fright factor goes long long beyond the actual film and that is like the number one reason i like juon is like i can watch movies like texas chainsaw massacre i can watch saw whatever and is it frightening to an extent yes because let's be honest who among us is really used to all that gore 
no one really is. It's a frightening visual. It's a shocking visual. That's, that's the, a better word. It's shocking, not frightening. Now, you look at Juon, it has very little blood and gore in it. But the objects of your fear are a small child and a actress, a woman, who, I mean, are very common. You see in society every day. You go to the grocery store, they're all over the place. Go to school, they're all over the place. I mean, for crying out loud. So it's not like the ghost is going to be some old man who has this creepy eye patch and clown face. Yeah, that stuff is scary. But when you take the normal and bring it into the abnormal, that becomes even scarier. Whereas you take the abnormal and bring it away from the normal. Is a clown face scary? No. But you take the clown face and bring it, elevate it to a level where it's scarier. Whereas this is taking something and bringing it into your realm. Juon, most of the locations are primarily in a single house, if I'm not mistaken, in Narama, Japan. And basically, anyone who interacts with the grudge or the curse becomes inflicted with the grudge or the curse themselves. And if they die in a location, that location then becomes part of the curse. So, what is this curse I'm mentioning? Well, the belief of the film is that if you die with such rage or emotion, negative emotion, you are bound to haunt the location where you died. Which kind of makes sense, and that's how most typical ghosts work. Except these ghosts aren't, Boo, float through the walls, I'm not a white sheet, I'm a real person. You know, it, it, it's not that contrived. This is, I'm a physical being. Now, yes, I appear out of nowhere. Some people have speculated that the Juon ghosts can even turn into cats. Uh, I disagree, because in most of the scenes where the cat is on screen, yes, there are times when, like, Toshiro, one of the ghosts, disappears and there's a cat left in his spot, or the cat is there, and then all of a sudden, Toshiro's there. So some people have speculated, oh, no, they can transform. I mean, Toshiro makes a cat noise, so he must be able to transform into a cat. No, actually, it's kind of like multiple ghosts haunt this person and they just are taking turns swapping in and out because there are scenes where Toshiro is holding the cat which would indicate there's more than one person seeing how he can't be holding himself but that's another thing I should probably mention cat noises very common no one gives a shit in fact most people say they're very annoying at three o'clock in the morning but Toshiro a little boy dressed in pale pale makeup making a cat noise at you with his pitch black eyes. That is freaky. And that's another thing. Juon does take noises and pits them against your psyche. And I don't want to sound too Freudian about this, but a cat noise we can kind of associate with Halloween already. So that's understandable. But there's this single noise that they do. And it sounds something like this.
I don't quite understand why it's scary, but it but it is. It's almost as if the ghosts, because they died in such a negative state, are trying to call for help, but it comes off more as this warning getaway, but also like an animal call when an animal is getting ready to attack like a wolf when it snarls or something. I'm not quite sure exactly why that's scary, and I could sit and analyze that sound all day. The bottom line is, it's unfamiliar. Not many people make that sound on purpose, but it's within the realm of human capability, and it is a freaky sound. And to see somebody sitting there with their mouth open, dangling open, making this sound with pale makeup and in the dark is kind of freaky. I don't care who you are. But the story of Juon, it's told in six separate parts for both films, and the parts are not in chronological order, necessarily, although they do jump around enough it's kind of hard to tell when they take place, although certain events happen the way they need to, to keep you confused and interested about the story in the right way. Like, this movie is not confusing, you, you won't be lost. It may be a little hard to follow with subtitles, because, well, if you're not used to subtitles, let's face it, you're probably not used to watching anime, so it's kind of a warning for deaf ears here. But uh, I brought my sister and my father to watch this movie, and Dad, if it's subbed, he doesn't watch it, simply because I don't want to read my movie, which, oh, irks the hell out of me. It's like, Jesus Christ, you're so American. <laughs> just watch, it's, just take in the multimedia so what? You have to read it. That just involves more of your senses. You're hearing, you're reading. I mean, it's involving more of your senses. You know, you're more anxiously involved. Why the hell? You know, this is multimedia. What do we use multimedia for? To absorb things. <laughs> so we can understand new ideas and concepts. I mean, what the hell? Just read the subtitles. And my sister loved it. She was freaked out and she wants to watch another one, but doesn't want to watch another one. Because that's how scary it was. But, uh, yeah. I showed uh, clips to my younger siblings, my younger brothers, who are like tw uh, 12 and 13, and it scared the crap out of them. I showed just one clip, and it scared the crap out of them in the middle of the day. And that's, that's fear right there. That's primal instinct fear that you can't get from many other horror films. I love it. I don't get scared for movies. I should really explain. I don't get scared from watching movies. I get scared from having to do new things, like, when I was 16 and started driving, I was kind of scared that I was always going to mess up because, one, it's expensive, I don't have money, and someone could get hurt. You know, needless to say, sooner or later, I got over that fear, and it wasn't like some crippling effect that, oh my goodness, I can't survive, but it was always in the back of my head and made me really reluctant to start to learn how to, how to drive. It was... A fear like that. I used to be afraid of bees as a kid because I had a bad experience where I got stung and it, well, hurt. You know, so I've always had a bad experience with bees and always been afraid of them, which is kind of funny when you see this six year old kid running away from this bumblebee that's slowly hovering, <laughs> this furry little insect. Now I'm fine because those were, you know, younger fears. Nowadays, what am I afraid of? Uh, I'm afraid of getting hurt being paraplegic and that sort of thing because oh my goodness that would just that would just freak the shit out of me and, and it's honestly not a way I want to live but for movies and primal fear 
it really I really don't get scared a whole lot. I mean, I'm the type of guy during Halloween, I will go outside in the middle of the night and just sit in the middle of the woods. I just like that, that feeling of like, there's, you know, the wind is blowing, you can hear the rustling of the leaves from an animal or whatever your imagination can can think of. I like that primal fear. It, make, it excites me, it gets the adrenaline going and all that sort of thing. And with Juon, because the locations are very familiar, the things that scare you are very easily imaginable. It's not like some monster with 16 tentacles and this giant Venus flytrap face and whatever. It's just very simple. So you turn the lights off, you're getting ready to go to bed, and the slightest noise you hear, you're fully attent and you're listening. And of course, going from watching a bright TV screen to looking into the dark, your mind can kind of play tricks on you when you see that white bucket or you know, laundry pile over there, it looks like a little boy or something looking at you like, oh, I'm part of the curse, you're dead, you know. It's really, really, really fun to watch those movies and then to, like, completely separate yourself from them later. But taking another look at exactly the budget of the film and what was filmed, you can really tell that it was very, very, very low. Very, very low budget. It The locations... Are primarily you, you primarily have two locations the house and they do go to a school building I can imagine that getting a Japanese school building at the end of the day would probably be fairly easy to do so maybe cost very low amounts of money maybe I'm assuming but using the same set over and over again one is a great idea and two is not a good idea because if you're really trying to look professional, you sure you can disguise it, but at the end of the day, it's still the same location, and it can get quite dull. You know, when you're sitting there and you're watching an hour film or an hour and a half film, you want something new after a while, you know what I mean? But the flip side of that is because it's in the same location, you already have that built-up suspense from, oh, this person met their end here this person met their end here and you're looking at all the locations of the house and you're saying no don't go into that closet don't go into that closet and another thing that juan does is that they will send people into the closet and then like come out just fine and that like freaks with american audiences i crap you not unless you're familiar with watching other horror films this movie's gonna like mess with your mind because most of us like you go into the closet Sure, you may be okay, but then five seconds later, bang, they get you. Or something like, oh no, don't go into the attic, don't go into the basement. And they're just like, there are like three spots you don't go in horror movies. A closet, the basement, and the attic. Now, with Juon, there's no basement, because it's Japan, not many houses have basements. But the attic, you definitely don't want to go into, but at the same time, it's not a surefire way to die. And the closet, same thing. But then again, the closet is connected to the attic in the way that the, the Juon house is set up. So, would I want to go there? No. At the same time, <laughs> is it a surefire way to get yourself killed? No. It's not. But it's still not smart. And Juon will take that and like flip it right on, right on its head. Because there's one, one case, I believe it was in Juon 2. One case where this girl, uh, a group of girls actually went into the Juon house and they were partying and stuff 
having a little bit of a fun time drinking sake and all that. And one of them's like, no, I don't like this house. Let's leave. And they're like, oh, you're just being a baby. Yeah, sure, people died here because that's the whole thing. The, the murder. There was a murder in the house that initiated the curse of a father who, like, got really pissed and killed off his wife, his son, and then the pet cat just went apeshit and then hung himself. With all those deaths combined, of course, you have three ghosts. But this one girl's like, no, we shouldn't be in here. And everyone's like, oh, you're baby, blah, blah, so what the deaths? And she's like, fine, I'm fucking leaving. She just books it. And the other girls end up going missing. So you're like, wow, okay, so she made the right choice. She should be safe now. No, of course not. She ends up staying home and ends up, like, taking newspaper and plastering it all over the sides of her windows and all that stuff. Like, basically keeping herself secluded so that way no one can look in. And some of her friends come to visit her who weren't at the house and are like, what's, what's going on? Are you, are you okay? And she's like, leave me alone. And they're trying to figure out, like, what's wrong because she's acting really, really weird, which is a typical thing that most characters infected by the curse do and so they're like well what can't you uh can't you explain what's going on please we're worried about you she's like just get the hell away from me she starts screaming all that sort of thing they end up tearing some of the newspaper off she's like no she starts screaming bloody murder and sooner or later she looks through the newspaper after her friends leave and there are the ghosts of the several girls she was partying with in the house staring back at her yeah scary stuff ensues and she dies but the way that each victim is killed off is actually kind of unique i like that way see instead of doing something like oh my goodness he got stabbed by jason ah you know or doing something like you just hear a scream what will happen is like let's use the attic for an example someone will crawl up into the attic and they'll strike a lighter and they'll start looking they'll hold the lighter out and they won't see anything and then the camera will come up from behind the actor who's looking away of course and it'll do this jittery quick jump up to right to the back of the actor's head then they'll cut back to the actor looking at his face and he's looking around and as he turns around boom right there in his face is the ghost and now this is the case of there are two things that can happen. One, he runs away. Or two, you'll simply hear that. Cuts to black, done, and it's just implied that he's gone. But, oh my lord, there's some freaky, freaky things in this movie. Not that they're freaky in the way of just should not be viewed, but I would not let kids who are easily scared watch this film. Or this these two films, I should say. I'm taking examples from both of them. How Japanese are these films? Well, they're not exactly hard for American audiences to get into because being scared is still being scared. There are some slight Japanese references like there's one case where the girl is in a school building and her cell phone rings and she pulls the cell phone out and the number on the cell phone is 4444. So it's four fours. And of course, those of you, I don't need to explain it. In Japanese, the word for four is also she. She also means death. So, it's kind of like the equivalent of 666. Now, the difference in Japan and 666 is that 
four fours, you know, four is the bad one, and now you got four of them, yeah, basically four deaths, four times, whatever, whereas 666 is like some contrived, oh, I found something in the Bible, that's pretty cool, pretty nifty, so, whatever. It's, it's some slight stuff like that. A teacher goes to visit a student of his that hasn't been a, attending school, trying to figure out what's wrong, which typically doesn't happen here in America. If it does, it's in some sappy, feel-good movie. And there are some slight things like that that are going to be a little difficult for American audiences to swallow. If you're not really nitpicking them, you can overlook them fairly easy. Of course, people who probably listen to this podcast are familiar with Japanese culture to a good extent, seeing how you watch multimedia from them, mainly anime, and you've been listening to music, you know. I, I should assume that you have some Japanese knowledge, but in case you don't, and you're a newbie for most of these live-action films and stuff, some things like that might throw you off a little bit. But other than that, the acting is actually really, really good. There, there's only like one scene I can think of in the first film where I felt like, uh, I felt kind of fake. But yeah, the acting's great. The music is fairly good. If you played music, would I be able to recognize it? Probably not. But when the music is playing, it always matches what's on screen. Of course, if there's not silence going on, because sometimes with horror films, you know, silence is more eerie than music. But overall, these films hold up very, very, very well. Being direct-to-video, TV, movies, basically, they're cut above what most Japanese films I've seen. But yeah, so that's Juon. I'll have torrent links up in the show notes. So make sure if you're really interested, you can download these, watch them, and have the shit scared out of you. my dear Hisui. You see, we thought that hug pillows were the motive, but they were the means! Akika, you are the killer of anime! The Reverse Thieves on Anime 3000 present the Speakeasy Podcast, uncovering the mysteries of anime and manga. Come visit us at thespeakeasypodcast.com. Sick of elitist fans? Your first anime was Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> and you call yourself an otaku. Sick of fanboys? Have you seen Haruhi? I mean, she's so stupid and cute and just kind of follows her all around all over the place. And it's just so awesome. I love the series. Well, come on down to Super Happy Anime Fun Time, the anime podcast bringing you an objective fan's point of view to anime news, anime releases, and anime reviews. Check us out at AnimeShaft.com.
So instead of talking about what I've been reading and watching, I wanted to take the time and discuss my future plans for what I'm going to do with the podcast. For this month, I'm going to be taking a look at some more horror-oriented stuff. You know, uh, maybe an anime here or there. But let's be painfully honest, anime really isn't scary no matter how scary it tries to be. That's kind of one of the fallbacks of the genre, is that when it really tries to be scary, it really isn't scary. For anime to be scary, it tries to be gory and all that sort of thing, and it kind of ends up being an American horror movie. Yeah, it may shock and frighten some people, but it doesn't really have any lasting effect. Whereas, for me, a scary movie is once you watch it, and you're done, you're still scared. What you saw, you know, still plagues you a little bit, if you if you know what I'm saying. So, I probably won't be taking a lot of look at these quote-unquote scary anime. I'll be probably adding on some books, adding on some live-action films, and that's mainly actually what I've been looking at is live-action films. Not that I won't be doing anime as well, but I'll probably be reviewing some J-horror films. And I know I've been, I've been itching to do this because I love J-horror. I think J-horror is much, much better than what we have here going on now in America. You know, Saw and Chainsaw Massacre and all that bullshit, you know. It's not, it's not my thing. I watch it and it's like, okay, wow, how many more buckets of blood can they pull out sort of thing. It, it, it's not scary anymore. But with Japanese horror, I really, really dig the whole suspense and that sort of thing. But, for November, I wanted to bring back the idea of Mech Month. I think a Mech Month is actually a really exciting idea, and I've been holding back on talking about some of these Mech shows I've been watching. Like, I could have easily talked about Aquarion this week instead, but I'm like, hmm, what if I want to do Mech Month? And I think I'll do that now. I think I'm going to do Mech Month, seeing how there's just so much that's happening right around that time. We've got... Episode 2 of Gundam Unicorn coming out the 30th of October, and we probably won't get it until sometime November. We have Super Robot Tyson L coming out in the middle of November. And, you know, those two events alone have got me set November, Mech Month, now. So that's probably going to be what's going to happen. I'll probably pull some people on that one. It's pretty easy to, get, you know, to grab people to talk about Mecha, whereas it's a little more difficult to have them talk about horror and scary sort of things. Uh, I don't know why that is, I guess just more people like robots than being scared, understandably so. But I, I already have some people in mind, I don't want to list any names, you know, pressure people into it, but I already have some people in mind who I would like to have on the show for both this month and next month, although this month is primarily going to be me. But yeah, for Mech Month, definitely pull some people on there, talk about some robots. Well, I mean, what's cooler than that? And speaking of talking about some robots, Mr. Regan Strongblood. Yeah, and Podfade82. Yeah, what the hell's up with that? Now, new episode next week. Five months later, new episode next week. It's like, been two weeks, bro. I want that damn podcast. That final episode of Mecha Madness won't get released until November. <laughs> oh, I'm such an asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry, Regan. I'm just picking on you, bro. But yeah. So, if you want to be on this horror month, and if you want to be on the mech month, please go ahead and contact me. Let me know if you have any plans you'd like to bring to the show, because I'm very, very open, especially since now I'm, I'm constantly working. 
working, working, sleeping, working, and, you know, I have a small amount of time, I'm allowed to, to do what I want, sort of, kind of, I'm not doing someone else's pet project, I record and watch cartoons, and then work and sleep. It may not sound very successful, but damn, is it fun. Go ahead, contact me, my email. Um, now I've got my page layout slightly different. I've got the download, the iTunes, and the email link. So if you know how to download, you know how to email me because it's right there. So now there's no excuse. Now I don't have to say, oh, go to the upper right corner of the blog. It's next to a picture. Yeah, the more, it may be the same damn link, but any idiot can click it. But anyway, so yes, shoot me a line. I'd be more than happy to have you on the show. Just, you know, and if you have a podcast and you want me to help promote you, I love doing that cross-promotion thing, you know? I, I was a beginner podcast just a year ago. So I know how it feels. You want to get there? You want to start making your brand a little bit more popular? Send you, Send me a promo. Send me a link to your show and maybe I'll add you. But if you really want to make it big, I suggest you contact anime3000.com because, well, let's face it, I'd be a nobody if there wasn't anime3000.com. So those are my future plans, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, you can contact me, uh, download this on iTunes. If you already are downloading it on iTunes, please go to the show notes. If any anime or manga or book or anything I've talked about that I've been watching or reviewed is not licensed, I will have a link there so you can download it and Hey, you know, watch it yourself. See what you think. Other than that, make sure you go to anime3000.com. And I've got a Anime Asylum episode coming out pretty soon, if not by the time you're listening to this. Should be coming out really soon. And, of course, that's with Thomas from Thomas's Prerogative from AnimeShaft.com. And so many other podcasts like the Tokyo SOS, the Hexcast, the Spectacular Web podcast, and all that sort of thing. He is, like... A media machine. He reminds me of how I was like a couple years ago. I was like, oh, you need media? And I just start pumping the shit left and right. It, you know, oh. I remember those days. Those were fun days. Now I'm lucky if I can produce a podcast once a week. <laughs> but yes. So make sure you check out Thomas. So that way you know who my co-host is for the Anime Asylum podcast. And those are my plans. So until next time, I'm fading out on you because I'm going ghost. Oh,